Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites. This is episode 160. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Gentlemen, this is Robert sitting in the captain's chair doing an episode that I have been looking for, looking forward to for a very long time because this is our heroes. And uh, we're doing this here today in Studio N on the 30th floor of the Nakatomi Tower. <laughs> Uh, was it behind the waterfall, well, just down the hall? Yes, down the hall from Ellis, behind the waterfall. Behind the waterfall, yeah. Very good, yes. So, uh, and today we're doing uh, what is unbelievably so, uh, Francis said at the end of the last episode, our very first female Our Heroes. But I want to, didn't some female come up in one of the others? So it seemed like I was listening to one, which granted would have been from a year ago, because I'm always about a year behind on all, of our, on all my podcasts. Uh, I thought somebody came up. But, you know, maybe not necessarily as the primary, but I have to go back and see what, what I listen to. Anyways, it's Lucille Ball. The, what, somebody who I think is the greatest comedian ever to grace a stage or television or movie screen. You could make that claim, and no one yeah. would argue with that. Yeah. I, as one of the greatest <clears throat> there was. Yeah, yes. I mean, women comedians, women comedic actors <clears throat> are generally compared to Lucy. Yes, they're not really compared to right. and, and anyone found, else. Even, often found wanting, too. Yeah, I mean, even greats like Mary Tyler Moore uh, are generally, <laughs> you know, not not the comparison. Everybody compares well, to Well, she Lucy. is the the, uh, the iconic mold. You know, yeah. She is the gold standard of female comedians. Because she is, she's somebody who, who held her own with the men in the shows that she was on. And she was the star of yes. the shows. She was the first female lead on any of these kind of shows. And we're talking early 50s when this happened. You know, that's unheard of. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's called I Love Lucy for a reason. She was the main character. Right. And Everything that's astounding. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not to say she didn't have help, of course. Oh, no, because it was, a, it was ensemble cast. Right. It definitely was, but she's the star. Oh, very much so. And she, and she went through an enormous amount of grief just to get the thing made. Because yes. there were, as you alluded to, there were powerful forces that, what do you mean a woman in charge? You know, what right. do you mean you're going to have input into, into the creativity? What well, do you, you mean know, your husband is Cuban and you want him on the, on the air? With she, an accent. With an accent, <laughs> yeah. <coughs> she faced that, very much so. Now, Desi was a, was a brilliant businessman all, of his, all on his yes. own, uh, who, who brought a lot of things to the table. And if you watch some of those episodes, <coughs> which I did recently, but I mean of Benjamin. I had to rewatch. Oh my God! That's oh yes, <laughs> still one of the greatest. There's a there's a part after that which I didn't remember because you always see the clip of her on the you know doing the vitamina Benjamin thing when she gets you know snot face fifty one percent alcohol, but they have Ricky come out and sing. Yes. Well, that seems odd today, but yet that was part of the format then because it's not just the comedy, but right. it soon became. Just the comedy, because uh, I was looking—I forget where it was—but that's a, like a first season yeah. episode. Well, you know that that, that would change over time. I mean, Lucy came of age in people's homes. I mean, she had a child on air. Yes, you know she you know, she gets pregnant in the show, and then all of a sudden they have their twin beds somehow. That's right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, uh, and and they bring in little Ricky, who was not her son, of course. It was an actor. Right, he was too old to be their son. Uh, uh, well, yeah, because by the time uh, he got. Uh, because he grew very quickly on the show. <laughs> very much so. And, of course, their first child was Lucy Artemis. Yes. You know, who was daughter. 
uh, and uh, and their their son actually Desi Junior didn't come until much later. Well, she was born. Lucy was born in fifty one. Desi was born in fifty three. They're very close together. Right, but it was uh, it was after. That's, they yeah, but I mean, little Ricky was on the show. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what I'm saying. So, uh, well, the show uh, would have been contemporary with them. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you that's know, right. she was probably pregnant with Ricky. Yeah. I mean, Desi. But anyways, let's, let's talk about her because it's, it's not she's not the genius just because of I Love Lucy. That's what everybody knows her yeah. for. Yeah, uh, which is only the first of many. But I mean, that was a really neat point. That originally, the hook of the show was, well, there's Lucy, and then there's this cool nightclub act of yeah. this exotic Cuban singer. But you're right; they have, over time they de-emphasized. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, they, they they played to their strength. I mean, yeah. the show lasted nine seasons. Yeah. So it became more this wacky comedy mm-hmm. with uh, Vivian Vance and, and William Frawley and, and William Frawley, Frawley. Who, who they didn't really want actually they, they came later that he that Lucy didn't really want him in there uh, ironically enough and he, he grew on them and he turned yeah. it because he was very well he's a stodgy old grumpy he, kind he, of guy. he was very professional and did, did a very good job on yeah. that well, he person. and Vivian Vance came from uh, 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 vaudeville. vaudeville so you know it's a very uh, similar but still very different kind of thing it's very much a variety kind of thing mm-hmm. as opposed to the doing what is essentially a play every yeah. week. Yeah, in front of a lot. And I'm glad you mentioned Vivian Vance because in many respects Lucy was at her best when her and Vivian yes. were together. When they were doing yeah, it's not it, it shouldn't be called the Thelma and Louise syndrome. It's the Lucy and Vivian. Lucy and Ethel. Lucy and Ethel, yes. Right. Yeah, that's right, Lucy but it was, it was so, they, uh, but, they they together encaptured so much of the better scenes. Those were the Lucy and Ricky were great, and the whole four of them together. But that's what I think, in my opinion. Yes, that's right. what brought because the Lucy show, which came after that, was was the two of them. Yes, yeah, yeah. The home stuff was great, but it really soared when it was Ethel these and two Lucy girls trying to get out from under. Yeah, Ricky trying and, to do stuff and, yeah, and getting, getting out, into crazy situations. Stuff, yeah. they were the first buddy pair uh, on television. Yeah. They weren't first ever, because obviously you've got Abbott and Costello and things like that. But they were certainly the first female pair, because that's still a rare thing. Yeah. And it's the first one that people saw on television, uh, which is interesting as well. So let's talk about her early life a little. Let's kind of set the stage. Yeah. Uh, so she was born in 1911 on August 6th, which is the same birth date as my brother, uh, which I found was, uh, did not know that. And you know, from New York, uh, English background, English a little bit, Irish, Scotch, you know, oh, yeah. kind of a, a background. Much. Obviously, I mean, look at that red hair. That's natural red hair, fellas. And they would play up the, uh, kind of the Irish thing with the Lucille McGillicuddy. Yes, exactly. Oh, yes, yeah, the McGillicuddy is here. Yes. <laughs> I love that one. So, so we can uh, say it all the time. You know, her dad was <coughs> just a, a line worker for Bell Telephone. And at the time, of course, her mom stayed home. Uh, was a housewife. And uh, they moved around a lot, spent time in Montana, they were in Michigan when her father died, when she was just three years old. Interesting thing. I don't know that she has fear of birds. So apparently she never saw Hitchcock. But the only thing she remembers from the day her da- her, they had her dad's funeral was that a bird got loose in the house. And apparently that is the source of her fear of birds. Her ornithophobia. Oh, really? Yes. Ornithophobia. Yes. So, you know, she... she had lifelong fear of birds, but you know, so they moved around a lot. But after her dad died, then going back to New York, and her mom's parents, her maternal grandparents, helped raise her. And so, uh, very early, she got into modeling 
at the age of 18, so as soon as she was of legal age. And of course, very quickly from there, she was getting uh, bit roles on stage and uh, you know, in, in, then into movies. Yeah, and, and uh, modeling's kind of in its infancy. Yes. Really, because it's, you're just beginning to get the understanding of, hey, I can use pretty women to sell stuff. Exactly. You know, advertising is just taking off. Well, you're you're just now getting the ability to reproduce on a mass scale pictures. Right. Yeah. Everything, all other ads prior, you know, to the early 1900s would have been drawn. They would have been woodcuts or things like that. They didn't. They did not have a good ability to print photographs. So that that helps there. Um, you know, she was uh, uh, in films in the 30s. You know, you see her in uh, Three Stooges. And those, you know, she's just one of those background girls, chorus girls, stuff like that. Bit parts that a lot of young actresses went through because they had a lot of them. So mm-hmm. girls funneled through those constantly. But she stayed. And then she got a contract with RKO Radio Pictures. And she was, you know, lead in a lot of B movies, supporting role in, in a, A-list movies. And she got her name out there. And she was a good actress. I've seen yeah. a lot of these because I love the old black and whites. Mm-hmm. Love them to death. And she, it, she was a good actor. She could do serious drama work, mm-hmm. uh, even though it was the comedy that she was known for. And ultimately, the I Love Lucy show is put on by... They, Lucy and Desi, they have to form their own production company to ultimately get this thing produced and then still have to fight to get it on the air. Right, yeah. So it's so just even getting it produced, they had to produce, they had to come up with their own company. So they were successful enough to, or had enough backers, they could attra- which, again, that's a risk for those backers. They had that's to right. talk those guys into it. It's, it's very pioneering. Yes, to, it is living their dreams, as it, we said in know, the last episode. Going off into this idea of, well, you know what? These guys don't control everything. We'll make our own production company. Yeah, um, which and was a huge risk. Yeah. Well, it was space. because you're still in the middle of the studio system. The studio that's system right. had not yet been broken. Yeah. And you know the fact that they could do this—that she had enough uh, 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 star power, or at least enough gumption, enough vision, and enough vision, vision yeah. to, to to pull it off. Most people would have been paralyzed by fear at even the thought of it, but not her. Right. And that's one of those things we talked about: risk and reward. Last episode. This is a classic example of you know you you achieve not because you risk not. That she got it right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know they took a chance, and you know. They form their their own company, which is responsible for some of the most iconic shows yeah. in TV history. What would become Desi Lu Productions right, is right. Star Trek. Star Trek, yeah, yep. Mission Impossible, and Star Trek are yep. just two of the shows that obviously Star Trek is the the largest of the franchises that yeah. you know. Desi Lu eventually became part of CBS, Paramount, and so on, uh, but which is fine. You know that kind of stuff happens. But it was her, their production, and she was the first female head of a, of a real studio, mm-hmm. and so she's groundbreaking. She, she all kept over the control place. over after uh, divorcing Desi Arnaz. Yes, right. and you know she divorced him in '60, married uh, Gary Morton in '61, uh, was with him the rest of her life. Um, but you know, once she had the Lucy character, uh, after I Love Lucy was off the air. Uh, not long after they started the, um, the Lucy uh, show, the Lucy show, and then uh, not long after that went off the air. Uh, Here's, Here's Lucy, Lucy, which was uh, early seventy four. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, early seventy. Her kids were on that one. Yeah, because so they this, were old enough to be. Yeah, so this would have been contemporaneous with stuff like the Brady Bunch and yes, some other. Yes, because these are in color. The, these after are color the I Love Lucy. Here's right. Lucy. That's kind of the one I remember the 
more a little bit as Here's Lucy. Yeah, yeah that's the, that's the that one where they had the animated her in the, yes, uh, the, in, the, in the, the beginning and the, the, the credits. Also, that's, you know, yeah. that was the <clears throat> third iteration. But the Lucy show was really, I mean, throughout the 60s, a lot of it was black and white, but a lot of it was color. Her and Vivian Vance and Gail Gordon, I was going to say, who is a fantastically underrated comic genius. Yes. He really was. He was the perfect foil for this. And it was amazing some of the stuff they did. She has, you know, she has episodes with Richard Taylor and Elizabeth, uh, you know, uh, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Don't do that to Richard Burton. Don't do that to Dave. Don't do it. And and some of these other folks that are, you know, top level talent, you know, doing television with her. Well, even on I Love Lucy, they had that. You know, when they went out to California for those several years, because uh, Ricky got a, a movie a stu- movie contract yeah. a- on the show. And so they moved from New York, and of course, uh, Fred and Ethel go with them. Yep. And they meet all these movie stars. Well, John Wayne was on there. John Wayne, Charles sure. Boyer. And um, uh, 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 George Reeves. George, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Superman. Uh, Groucho and uh, Harpo Marx. That's right. Oh, oh my God! What, that's one of the best episodes. Is where Lucy dresses up as Harpo Marx and they mirror each other. That's correct. I mean, it's one of the oh most. Oh my gosh, that's genius it's, stuff. It, oh, it's it's fantastic that how they how they get away with that. I, that was I just forgot, a, but yeah, uh, they move out of the apartment in New York and they move into a place in California. Yeah, and then when they come back east, they move to a place in the country. Again, all four of them. Yeah. You know, uh, but that was the interesting thing. They changed it up because you know they changed the apartment once on the show. Uh, the original one didn't have any windows. Then the second one had a window. Even though the layout was exactly the same, <laughs> yeah. there's a window on the back wall. Um, and they managed to keep the whole thing fresh because they kept just it, just the creative genius of, of all this, which they all had a great hand in. Oh, yeah, exactly. Ultimately, that show succeeds or fails based on the writing. Yes. And that's and that's where they really shone because they had that comedic, not just Lucy, but mostly they all Lucy. Did. They all yeah. did. They were, they were very, very good at that. Uh, and Desi Arnaz was was pretty. He was he's underrated in history in many respects. I think, <clears throat> or just how talented he really was. Yes, some of that's a, almost a racial bias. I do believe because a bit, yeah, because during you know soon after that, you see Cuba is really seen as this exotic wonderland that everybody loves in the fifties. And next thing you know, we hate them with Castro. So all of a sudden. Desi's Cuban heritage, which was exotic was, and cool in the fifties, is not so much. It, it's not so much, and that's and that's not fair to him because he was a brilliant man, and I know he was successful after that. If you see some of his later interviews and stuff, he's just a hoot. He really was, yeah. and he was he was a brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, and it's unfortunate that the two of them had their issues, and they it did because you know they did some movies as well, and they did one as uh, as newlyweds, mm-hmm. and just they were still playing. Desi and Lucy from they I had, Love Lucy. I mean, they're, they're the same kind of characters. They had yeah, an amazing ditzy, chemistry but, yeah. with each other. And some of that was the dominating personalities that they were. Uh, a lot well, he could co- stand up to her. Is yes, Because yes, her personality was so big. Yeah. And you know, even in the, the, the movies that she had made prior to this, where yeah. she's really not much more than a, a bit player, you know, supporting actress for the, for the bigger movies... And you know the B movies are not necessarily great movies, but you know she she does a great job with them. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't. While she's solid, she has a great presence. She doesn't have that presence she has when, until she gets to to I Love Lucy because she can do it her way. Yeah. And that's that's all. That's yeah. that's key. I mean, you know, for, for people <coughs> wow, our age, heroic. 
you know the stuff you know he's such iconic memories things like the uh the vita vita vegemin uh, the uh 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 the candy line. The candy line. That's yeah, what I was trying yeah, to do. Yeah, the candy line. Yeah, that keeps going faster. Uh, yes. When they're in Italy stomping the grapes. Oh, I love, yeah, absolutely. The two of them. It's you just, know, there's just so many things. And it, it, it's, you know, it, it kind of gave rise to the whole concept of situation comedy. Yes. They invented it in many ways. Yeah, they were because, really, because, you know, a lot of stuff before this, because again, we're talking early, early 50s. TV has just started as, right. a, as a real thing, as a real serious thing. And. A lot of it is variety shows, yeah, or shows where you'll have some famous actor come on for, like Ronald Reagan for GE, mm-hmm. and they'll have some mini drama for mm-hmm. an hour, and it's a different cast every week. Playhouse with Barry Nelson playing James Bond. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. No, so, because they were still figuring it out, they're still right. trying to do radio on television, mm-hmm. and yeah. being the comedic genius that she was, so. She, I think, understood the visual aspect of television. She did very much earlier so. than many. Yes, because she was one of the best physical actresses ever. Yes, she knew how to be expressive, do things with her body. Yeah, to be funny without it really being slapstick. Without it being slapstick, but yes. just yeah. The, I think there was an element of that every <coughs> once in a while, yeah. but it was but, not. Yeah, I mean, she was a real master at the idea of using your body as a tool in the acting. Right. It's not just telling jokes. It is truly the, the whole the, the, the situation. Yeah, because everything was built around in the body movement, creating a, a circumstance. Oh, yeah. Her was, facial expressions. Yeah, I mean, she well, can make you laugh by just raising her eyebrows. Well, I know what you, you. Everybody yeah. knows that. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's that was a cliche that she did because it was just her thing. You know. Yeah. Of course, everybody also knows you got some splitting to do. Lucy. Yeah, Lucy, you got some splitting to do. That's right. Yeah. Lucy, it was. Uh, you know, she was a model for so many to come after. Uh, <coughs> one of the things that struck me and it really crystallized why I loved Lucy. Yeah. Hey. So much. Uh, as a kid growing up. So I saw an interview with John Ritter, uh, the late John Ritter, and he was greatly influenced by Lucille Ball. And if you think about his style of comedy, yeah, you can see yes. how she influenced him. And he said one of the greatest things ever for him was when she appeared on Three's Company. That's right, because in many respects, he began his rise just as she was leaving the stage. Yeah. <clears throat> and he, so he had learned from this and taken what she gave and moved it forward for a new generation. Yeah. And so she influenced him greatly in his style of comedy. And once you see it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. obvious. Uh, but, you know, I think the, the trail that she blazed as a woman is probably more important even than the, the comedic so. influence. Yeah. Because she, I think she opened a lot of doors. I think she opened a lot of eyes as well oh, as opened a lot of doors. Not just in the talent, but also in the business end. Right. Because again, they were some of the first ones doing some of the stuff that became standard in television production and making deals to finance that with the TV networks. Right. And made money and then were able to invest that money into things that kept that stuff going. Again, that, that not just a talent, but a business visionary in the entertainment business. Right. Awesome. Yeah, she's just an incredible woman. And obviously that's her and Desi, but you know, after Desi, after they divorce and it's mainly her, she's still driving, still having successes. Yeah, very much so. So, yeah. you know, she she can stand and very much did on her own. So, uh, let's take a bourbon break here. I know we're a little early into the, the show, but uh, I think this is a good point for a, a, a bourbon break here. 
So I am uh, drinking, I got some of the wild turkey again. Uh, so Francis decided he wanted that and said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm drinking too, yeah. And I'm having it with ice per your recommendation. So we'll see just how, uh, what's, you know, I didn't check the proof on this. We should have. I want to say it's 90 proof. Yes, I believe regular uh, regular wild turkey is 90 proof. The chill does make a difference in many oh, ways. Yes. I yes. like that. I like that chill. Uh, I don't. I had two. I had two cubes in it. I knew it would water it down a little bit, but um, it, it it moderates the bite. That's yes, for sure. It does. It does moderate. It does the help bite. smooth it out. It really does. Yeah, because and it I know it's the flavor to, come yeah. out. Right. While at the same time, I think moderating the bite in some of them, not all of them, but. Uh, this is one where I think it this definitely is one, enhances. I know it's I know it's got pear in it. I don't. I'm wanting to taste it, and I'm trying to taste it, and I can't find it. But that's okay because it's it's it's, it's got several things well, to it. But you're just you're we're just slugging down a Coca Cola. I understand. So Sorry. I mean that sugar on your palate's going to really mess. <clears throat> I know ruined your palate, Jean Luc. Thank you, Robert. But that's okay. <laughs> we can continue to move on. <clears throat> so I uh, I poured a glass of Evan Williams. I picked up a you know quick bottle. Now Evan Williams is fourteen bucks. Yeah, that's right. So, yes. I mean that's kind of your you know just that one jump above. It's the Scotsman's bourbon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of ancient age. It's just that jump above ancient age in Kentucky Tavern. But at fourteen which bucks, the, which is the, the the very bottom. Yeah, yeah, I mean that that's the stuff you you know you could drink it or you could spray it underneath the toilet rim. Same difference. Yeah. Yeah. But well, that's Evan, put out for your drunken brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, perhaps they. I, I, I think they even that they, low, they know this. They yeah. notice that they mm-hmm. they might pick up on ancient age. Well, after they had a few of the good ones, then you put that one out. That's right. That's right. But uh, for fourteen bucks, Evan yeah. Williams is good oh. stuff. And I get it. It's that, 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 low, it's very low, that low end. It should not be underestimated for some quality there. Evan Williams is a good example of that. Uh, Even if Var- Vario Barton is a, is a decent bourbon. Say, Vario Barton is a, is a fine quality bourbon. Uh, and it's uh, a $15 old, bottle. Old Granddad, they're all, they're all right yeah. on that same level there. J.W. Dance, another one that I'm, I'm going to be picking up here not too long ago because, ironically, the, the brand, it, was, it came from the Dant family. My grandfather worked there in the 40s, so yeah, I think I should yeah. have a bottle yeah. of that. So now you've been having this with the ginger ale. Yes. So talk about that. You you don't have it here now, but no. oh well, just I just decided to just kind of, you know, well maybe I will try a little bit of a mixed drink instead of just having bourbon. Um, so I, that's you know picked up the bottle of Evan Williams as a mixer, and you know every once in a while, again we uh, listeners we don't drink a ton when we're not together. Right. True. Uh, but every once in a while in the evenings, I've had a uh, a bourbon and ginger. And uh, using Evan Williams for that, but on its own, even without that, um, that's got a good flavor to it. Mm-hmm. That's got a good flavor to it. Again, a little bit of uh, kind of a caramel to mm-hmm. it, a little bit of a licorice to it. Not as much as uh, the Green River, um, and not quite as much sweetness as Wild Turkey. But um, it'd be a good place to start if you're unfamiliar with bourbon. Yeah, and yeah. you don't want to invest a ton. Start with Evan Williams at fourteen. Work your way to Wild Turkey at about twenty, right? Or the um, basic Four Roses. Yeah, uh, Four Roses. Then then branch out a little bit. Uh, Try the you know the single roses, barrels of the small batches. Elijah Craig, Larceny. When you get to about twenty five to twenty eight, get right in there. Yeah. Um, and then really branch out. Of, you know, 
if you yeah once you get then go over thirty bucks for stuff yeah once you get into the twenties you know you really need to stop mixing yeah because uh, generally the especially the ones we've talked about yeah, yeah. you do not want to yeah. to do anything so Mark um, I, I had to read it off for uh, for people on Derby Day so can you repeat off the top of your head because we just had Derby last week yes uh, from when we are recording this. <laughs> your uh, uh, mint julep recipe my mint julep recipe okay. So Martin's mint julep recipe is, of course, you uh, make your simple syrup, which is just you know sugar and water. You boil it, right? Uh, and make your simple syrup. Uh, you take your mint leaves, nice fresh mint leaves, and you muddle those, but you do it gently, right? Because you're just you're just breaking them up a little bit to let a little bit of that essence of that mint come out. The oils that yeah. those oils. Then you're going to mix that simple syrup and your uh, mint leaves, and you're going to let that sit. Then the next day, you take that nasty shit and pour it down the sink. <laughs> Go get a bottle of good bourbon, pour yourself some, and have a drink. Exactly. I was expecting that, uh, yes, uh, I was waiting for the shoe to drop. I, just, I, I know you too well, Martin. It's just, there's no way he's, he's doing all this. And I drink a real mint julep. Well, uh, nobody from almost nobody from Kentucky really drinks mint juleps. That's the stuff we sell to the, the rubes that come in from the yeah, Derby. Yeah, that's, so all you tourists that come in from the Derby and you're spending 15 bucks on those uh, mint juleps at the track... Or more. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that they do it to a, to a bourbon like Woodford Reserve is just disgusting to me. Because that's, you know... That's a full-body shiver right there. Exactly. Just drink the Woodford. It's good shit. Right. I mean, yeah, I just, when, I, when I came across that... I had seen it before, but a few a few weeks, several weeks ago, came across it in, in your feed somehow, came back up, or maybe it was one of the memories. I don't know. No, I, I usually post it every year. Well, the one I found was from 2018. Yeah. And so... I, I had to read that off everybody because that was just just the greatest thing. Yeah. Because that's just... Pour that nasty shit down the sink. That's right. Because you just don't want to do that. If you're going to make a mint julep, you might as well use the ancient age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true. That's right. So, all right. Anyways. Um, when we talk about Lucille Ball, so there's a lot of unique characteristics about Lucille Ball. Um, first of all, uh, especially if you look at the younger ones where she's uh, trying to be more glamorous, like in the, the chorus girl shows, uh, yeah. movies and what have you, uh, it's more evident there. Because by the time she gets to be in I Love Lucy, she's presented as a housewife. Yeah. Yeah. So not a whole lot of glamour there. Um, but, you know, she's also, by the time she gets to be there, she's almost 40 years old by the time they start I Love Lucy. Because she was born in 1911. Yeah. So she's 39. Uh, she's Actually, she's 40 when she has her first child. Yeah. So, at that point, maybe she either doesn't want to play the glamour girl, or doesn't feel like uh, you know, she should, or whatever. But you know, she was a very beautiful woman, she and was. we lose sight of that when we when we see I Love Lucy, as opposed to the earlier movies, and they're in black and white, so you lose a little bit of that as well. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that red hair was was very prominent and very natural. And of course, you know me; I love my redheads. Amen, uh, brother. Testify. Testify. Uh, so, you know, she had a lot of, a lot of things going for her. I mean, she was very beautiful. She could act and do all the things yeah. that, uh, She was actually trained as an actor. I mean, she, yeah. she took classes and, and trained yeah, as an actor. she was not just somebody who just, you know, walked into the studio yeah. and just, you know, started spouting lines. Yeah, she, and her, her, her modeling background also taught her, again, that idea of how to use your body. Right. 
to, to make a visual impact. Right. So, you know, she had all of these things that, you know, you call it a perfect storm of looks and ability and, more importantly, dedication. One of the things that I love about her, and it shows because it, show, because it comes off as so effortless. And when it comes off as so effortless, that's when you know they've put the work in. Yeah. Her dedication to her craft. Mm-hmm. She was one of the best at what she did. And that's one of the things I really loved the most. I mean, she's just so entertaining to begin with, but you know, she was just so good at all those things that she did. She she worked at it. And that's one of the most admirable things because she could have gotten by on on uh, you know, without doing that. Uh, probably the thing that held her back from having more leading roles was being a redhead though. Because 30s and 40s was the era of the blondes in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Very much. Yep. Uh, matter of fact, I think there was a movie where, or something she did where she had dyed her hair blonde, and just, it just looked wrong. It looked mm-hmm. totally wrong for her. But, you know, because you're used to seeing the red hair. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, what I find interesting are the, uh, the, when you see it in actresses who have come after her, uh, some of the same style. And whether they know it or not, they're they're uh, they're they're replicating some of her style. Uh, Deborah Messing, I think, is probably the closest female yeah. follow-on to uh, Luc- Lucille Ball. Uh, she was, of course, in um, Will uh, and Grace. Will and Grace, yes, uh, both versions. And she also had a show where she was a police officer uh, who was divorced from her husband, who was her captain, mm-hmm. and. That was really interesting because in that character, I thought Deborah Messing was more like Lucille Ball than any other show she had done. There's a little bit of that manic stuff that, that mm-hmm. Lucy could do so well, uh, as well as, you know, serious to comedic. And yeah, I was disappointed that Deborah Messing did not get the role to be Lucille Ball in the uh, the Netflix. Uh, Nicole Kidman got that. Yeah, yes. Nicole Kidman got uh, that. Javier Bardem. Yeah, uh, was uh, I, I have not seen that yet. I wanted to do it before we did this episode, but I just did not get the it opportunity. Is, it is really good. It is really good. It talks about the tempestuousness of their relationship. Yes, which in many respects, you know, we hear the term "lightning in a bottle." That's kind of what we had yeah. here. Is that especially at that critical time? I mean, they are at each other's throats and they are in each other's beds because apparently both of them, and this is well documented, so I'm not talking outside of school. Apparently, their sex drives for both of them were off the charts. Off the yeah, charts. Yeah, Desi was, what, was for sure a horn dog. He, he, and he was not faithful, whereas she was, we're not real sure, but mostly, yes. But she sometimes... Mostly? That's kind of like being a little bit pregnant. Well, <laughs> see, there, there's ambiguities there. There's, right, we don't right. really know. That. And Desi's mouth, was well no documented. Time. Everybody yeah. knew uh, what was going on with him. And that's yeah. one of the things that led to their divorce. Well, the time for, for a woman to be unfaithful is very difficult because that's it was correct. much more dangerous. That's why it's not... What that what there yeah. was on that is not really well known. They yeah. had a... She would have been blackballed for sure. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, not just dangerous, you know, because a man, he fathers a child back then. Well, it's not mine. Mm-hmm. You know, a woman gets pregnant. It's hard to say. It's not mine. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it makes cheating for women a lot more dangerous. Especially in the respect. 50s because morality yes. issues, morality clauses were still very much a, oh, thing, yes. a thing for that. So that was, uh, of course, they were married to each other. And they recognized they needed each other in many ways. They could not they could not work together uh, for the to success of that show was tied together. By the time they get into it and it becomes a hit, they're, they're at each other's hip. 
they made it work though, and uh, although it, Lucy eventually got it got to the point where some of this was the Cuban machismo masculine myth that he bought into at the time, this hyper masculinity uh, that it just it was tolerated and. Lucy's kind of like, the point is, no, I'm not going to tolerate this. Well, yeah, and I think if you look at um, not just her life, you know, because she grew up without a father. Now, granted, she had her grandparents, but that grandparents are different than your than your parents. Sure. And so I, I think she had a, a sense early on of independence. I mean, going out and getting a job as a model when you're 18, and essentially being out on your own at yeah. that point, that shows a lot of independence. If you look at a lot of the roles that she took in yeah. those early movies mm-hmm. she's never a damsel no she's always an independent she was woman. she was you know she was street street smart she was wisecracking you know she was not somebody to be contended with in those and you know maybe that hurt her ability to be an a-list actress because she was one she wasn't blonde she wasn't demure enough because she was she's playing strong roles yeah and that's and in those days you didn't do that there right. were very there few very few because even strong strong actresses that played strong roles they were, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, oh, shoot. Uh, Jean Arthur uh, is a great example. I, I love her. Yeah. She's in um, the, uh, uh, oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the, the guy's name. Um, not Topper. Oh, she, she might have been in that. But uh, where her, she and her husband are. Um, the Thin Man. The Thin Man. Thank you. That was Myrna Loy. Oh, you're right. That's Myrna Loy. No, I'm yes. sorry. I'm oh, sorry. that's another great example. You William, William Powell and Myrna Loy. Right? Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. yes. William Powell. Well, Catherine William Powell. That's the one. Yeah. Right there. Uh, Catherine Hepburn is a good example of somebody that could play the strong woman. Uh, that, but they were few and far between because most time female roles in those days that's love interest. That's all you're there for. Exactly. That's all exactly. you're there for, and it's it's rare. I mean, they would give them some some uh, identity, perhaps, but ultimately, from a story perspective. Yeah, I mean, you know, look at uh, uh, you know Jean Harlow. Uh, you know, she was uh, she's a gorgeous woman, but yeah. you know, she got the bubble-headed blonde kind of role. That's right. Yeah. Unfortunately, she died uh, far too young. She was a very good actress. Yeah, absolutely. And there uh, were there were many out there. Lana Turner. Yes. Uh, had had some very decent roles and some very. Uh, uh, which was the actress that helped develop Radar? She was a genius. She was oh, a you, you're going to ask me that now. Hedy Lamar. Hedy Lamar. That's Headley. Headley. That's Headley. Hey, it's 1890. You can sue her. That's right. (laughs) So, you know, she's one. It's another one of those that, you know, strong women. And, you know, she had some strong. But, again, even she had to be a little more, uh, you know, you want to call it subservient. You can. Because the, the roles back then, the women were subservient to the men. You know, now they may have been uh, in the comedic roles, uh, you know, uh, somewhat akin to the roles you see today where the the women make fun of the men but not nearly to the degree it yeah. was more good natured and the man was still the their protector and those kinds of things uh, they did it more for the comedy as opposed to the well you know just, we're just going to treat men like crap like you seem to see today but uh, but she she didn't do those kind of things she was always her own woman uh, even even when she was a studio actress it seemed like every role she played and maybe that's just because you know, she'd audition for roles. That's what they let her have. That you know, it's like, yeah. oh, you're really good at that. We'll we'll let you do that. But until she got her own production company, it hampered her ability to be a movie star. Turns uh, out she didn't need to be because she turns out to be more famous of a name than almost every other name that you made. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, yes. you could ask people today who many of those are. Oh, weren't they in Hollywood? 
Would you say Lucille Ball? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love Lucy. They're going to yes. say that. Yeah. I mean, th- that show completely dominated 50s television. Yes, it did. I mean, we've... We've talked about other 50s shows. Right, we've talked about The Honeymooners. I should say Jackie Gleason deserves Jack, a lot of you know, credit. No, that's a big deal. Milton Burrell's a big deal. But Lucy and Desi dominated television in the 50s. Yes. Is it, it is the blueprint by which family comedies basically still work. Absolutely. I mean, yes. it, she created it. I, Her and Desi. I'm going to mention, you know, Ivar uh, upstairs is a huge fan of Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, yeah. And watches that all the time. And when you watch that, you start looking, it's like, you know what? Brad Garrett, terrific comedic actor. Yes, he is. But Patricia Richardson, also. And, and you know, um, Doris Roberts. Oh, yeah. And those parts don't exist without Lucy in I Love Lucy. Right. That is the standard. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you make the argument that, that Raymond's parents are uh, Fred and Ethel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you absolutely I mean, could. they kind yeah. of take on those roles. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, this, when you watch these family sitcoms, to a large degree, these the, the, the wife characters are... Are Lucy. Are Lucy. Yeah, well, and to some degree or another, because... Um, not all of them, especially nowadays, will portray the wives as, as that kind of screwball. Uh, because that's not really... We don't do that anymore. Yeah. The, the guy can be that way, but, you know... Yeah. Um, you know, but we don't we do not do the, the women that way. The women are, are, are less... Um, in a way, I just think they're less creative. I think they're, they're, they're less real in that sense. Uh, and because everybody does something a little zany every once in a while. If you don't, gosh, you're not going to be on television anyways. But, you know, but you're right, though. She paved the way for them to actually be characters as opposed to window dressing. Yeah. Right. And that's the, I think that's really yeah. the, the, yeah. the best way to look at it. She paved the way for women on TV shows to not be window dressing. Now, a lot of them still were. Yeah. But, but the, they always would have been until somebody else like Lucy came along. So. Yeah, because you've got actresses like Katie Segal who uh, married with children. Oh, uh, that's another one. That's, that's another exactly. one that broke a lot of ground yeah. around that time because you know she she took just as much of the role as Ed O'Neill did. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and that's and that's a very it, it, was, it was even though it was much cruder. That's was probably cruder closer to Isle of Lucy than is. any it's other show. It's turned on its side in many respects and it's brought forward into a totally different set of sensibilities. Yes. Uh, but in many respects, that was kind of the point. Right. Was to take yeah. a good comedy that what you know what you had to do in the fifties. Those constraints are not there anymore, especially on a fourth network. Let's take something. Let's you know. Let's do something really different, and that's uh, it. Broke a lot of ground with that. And right. I forget how long that lasted, but it was a very, very long. That was several years. It was a good, it was quite a good run. Years. Oh yeah, I, Married with Children is the show that made Fox. Absolutely. I mean, oh, it's, well, it's that, that The Simpsons eventually. Yeah, The Simpsons. Uh, I mean, it's what gives Fox viability as we can produce live action shows, yep. real real shows that are just as good as. And as successful as the other three networks, right? You know. Now, and you know, critics panned it for the, the crudeness, but it was a well-loved show. Everybody watched it. Yeah, everybody watched it. It was one of those things that, oh yeah, we can do this. I like this. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of sexual innuendo and what have you, but you know, honestly, it was relatively mild compared <laughs> to some of the stuff. Right. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, um, it was just more obvious about it. Uh, you know, but the the actual innuendos were not as 
certainly way better than a lot of uh, rap music and, and uh, comedians that, uh, mm. that that I've seen. That came shortly after that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you know the influence is mightily, mightily. Uh, yeah. I I don't know that you can underestimate how much she influenced television and the role of women. Right, and not just what you see on the screen. Again, what what goes on behind right. the scenes as well. Uh, there's a quick note that uh, again, Desilu very successful. She sold her shares of Desilu to Gulf Western, and it would eventually become Paramount. Right, as you know, today is Paramount. She sold for seventeen million. In that's today's equivalent of one hundred thirty million. Wow. That's business sense, man. Yes. That's business sense. Yeah. Uh, and that's new, on top of whatever money she made yeah. while she ran. Years. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that is, that's knowing she's got something of value that she came up with, she and Desi, that was different from other people. And like, boom, here, you know, if you want it, you're going to pay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The concept of an independent production company was, when she was doing it, was what? And well, yeah, because again, the studios controlled everything. So right. essentially, what she's doing is creating a new studio. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And which and eventually networks controlled it all on television. That's right. And from that, now they're they're everywhere. Yep. Yeah, it's nothing to see uh, a Warner Brothers produce a television show that goes on a Paramount network. You know, there's because often the studios that are owned by the networks don't produce stuff for their own network. For whatever reason, yeah, uh, it goes anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. I mean, this idea of well, let's make a deal, let's make an agreement to make a buck, and we'll get this on, right? Yeah, because you know, if the network has a you know an interest in a studio, and you know, it's like, well, we don't really have room on the network for that. Yeah, go ahead and put it on that other one because we'll still make money. Mm-hmm. You know, get it on the streaming platform. Yeah, well, get especially it, nowadays, yeah, get it out there, and we'll make a buck. And well, you know, know in a, in, a, in she's, essence, she's that business person that's. Throwing these possibilities out there. Desilu is the model for all of these streaming services, if you think about it. Because they're all independent studios now. Netflix, Hulu, uh, Apple. Yep. They're all producing their own original content, and it's good. That's right. Yeah, because they're outside the constraints. They're willing yes. to be able to think differently. And, you know, there's innovation for you. Uh, and it's, that's what that's what's, the public demands that. In mm-hmm. fact... No streaming service would exist without their original content now. Right. Whereas when this first started, it was all about, well, we want to take this content that's already out there. No, now it's all about, what have you done for me lately? You right. Know, it's, it's those, and some of them, uh, Netflix comes out with, you know, these Christmas movies every year that are very low budget, like like the Sci-Fi Channel used to do in the 90s. Every weekend, it was Sci-Fi Weekend, where you had these, oh, yes. these B-movies that they're making, but they were great. You know, you they're best, good, good fun. Fun, exactly. They're not. You're not investing a lot in it, both in time and, and you're not expecting Oscar-worthy no, performance. It's always it's always meant to be fresh. That's where you get Sharknado, you know, which yes. kind of become a little bit of a, a cliche. But you know, people watch. Well, the heck but out it of became it. a cultural phenomenon. That's right, and it was just one of tons of other of that sort of type of stuff because you can do this stuff if you're willing to take a little risk, yeah, and put some money behind it and let the creative people be creative. See, that was one of the problems I think with the studio system and the network system for so long is they overthought so much and said, no, we can't do that. Yes, yeah. the network sensors and the studio <coughs> sensors That's correct. We're well, really killed a lot of creativity. Yeah. And then everything had to be a certain format. That's correct. Yes. It, it, it's got to be cookie cutter. And people people are smarter than that. 
Well, you know, to to a certain degree, the cookie cutter asp- approach to some things is not a bad thing. Well, I mean, it, I do not mind episodic TV where where you have a reset because that's usually a sitcom for the most part, yeah. and I'm okay with that because I that's kind of entertainment from that I like. You know, uh, Star Trek: uh, Strange New Worlds is the the latest Star Trek series that has just started with Anson Mount as Captain Pike. Uh, Anson Mount is a phenomenal actor. Yes, he is phenomenal. Yes. Actor. yes. And they're making a big deal, like it's so. You know, in a way, I'm, I, 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 I kind of scoff at this because they're making a big deal about, oh, we're returning to episodic. Like this is such a great thing. Well, no, it's just a different approach. Because honestly, I prefer long-term, long-form sh- storytelling mm-hmm. on my television shows because otherwise, it's not binge-worthy. You know, that's that's yeah, why that's right. you binge. But on the other hand, I also appreciate these one-off episodes because it's all part of this larger. Uh, tapestry. So for Trek, I think it works. Yeah. Not every show can work that way, uh, but you know we're still seeing a story. It's just not quite. It's not a th- same theme running all season. Yeah, and you can have th- uh, through threads, and they will with characters. Yes. When you got the same characters, you're going to have some of that. In fact, you better because characters is what often sells these shows. But you can't. You know, you don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be something where. Everything is one long like form. That was one of the studios <coughs> and the network's objective. Says, "We have we have new people tuning in. They'll be lost. They won't right. come back." Uh, experience has shown no, it doesn't work that way, especially in the streaming area. Well, yeah, now that streaming way. and DVR, that's that's no longer true. We either want you it, you may have to wait, or we don't. New people, you know, the danger is some new people won't start until the end of a season when it hits streaming. Yeah, and so that first season. Studio execs have to weigh, all right, did we not get enough viewers because they caught on in the middle and they were waiting to watch it at the end? Yeah. Or did the show really suck? Uh, so, you know, and, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen, but a lot of shows have moved from networks to the streaming platforms because the networks are saying, well, no, this is not worth it. But the streaming platforms are saying, yeah, it is, because we've seen how many people are watching the episodes that... We are, you know, we that are on the back, yeah, are running the back end, yeah. Right, and and the streamers are getting smarter too because they have, you know, you, you got your, you know, your income side where you pay for your membership. They've also got your ad supported versions. Yes. Outside of that, that's brilliant because that way you're going to get your revenue. You don't have to sign on for that, but if you if you put up enough good content, they will. Right. People don't mind the ads. I mean, yeah. obviously, I'd much rather watch a show without ads, but they don't mind it as long as the ads are not. Too often and too long. That's the problem with network television because, you know, shows at best are one hour, and we're approaching what forty minutes max yeah, of yeah. content. Yeah, it's it's ratcheted down over the last forty six, forty two, forty. Yeah. So yeah. you know, we're gonna get to a point where now where it's half of it is commercials. Well, yeah, well the original Star Trek in this, you know, it was fifty one minutes. minutes. That's right. And now, uh, whereas Star Trek Enterprise was forty two. Right, because it was also it was it wasn't a major network, but it was still network. Right, but you know they all saw they all followed that same format though. That's right. And, you know every one hour show had the same number of commercials. That's basically. right. That's just uh, uh, in twenty years. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. So you know it's it's a yeah, streaming. I don't mind commercials too bad too much as long as they're not too long and too often. But you know also they also made it where it's just a couple dollars more if you want to get rid of the. The, That's right. Yeah, the they they're very smart with regards yes. to that, and uh, they recognize that thanks to Lucy, pe- they realize television is content that people want. They, if you create good content, people will follow you and will seek it out. Yeah. Well, come I, after you. I think they knew that. I think the, the the lesson from from 
Lucy and Desi Lou and I Love Lucy is one, it's worth the, worth taking a risk if you got something that you believe in. You may fail because they could have, but they came along at the right time with the right product with the right sensibilities. And plus, they had the genius yeah. on the yeah. screen. Uh, but also, uh, the lesson is you don't have to be constrained by somebody else's vision. And that's where, you know, even if they don't realize you're taking it from the Lucy experience, uh, ultimately, that's, you know, they, they were the first ones to really break out of that mold. And that's something that I think is, is it's a great lesson for anybody. Yeah. Don't let somebody else define the limits of your own dream, of your own life. Because, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with the, uh, you know, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. <laughs> so, yeah, Facebook is free. Yeah, that's because you're the product. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're selling your yeah. data. And, yeah, it's just the way that is. Um, so... It's hand in hand with you know if you let people do this, uh, you're, you, again, talk about this kind of stuff before. It's handing over your agency. You're letting people run your lives when you don't have to, or at least aspects of your life. And yeah, you know, I just think that's a great model. They they willing to take risks, and they were good at it. Yeah, and they believed in in what they had too. They right. I mean, you can't minimize the the presence of talent. It wasn't just desire; it was talent. It had right. to be. I mean, think about how talented she had to be to have three successful versions of the same show. Yeah. Now they tried a fourth in the '80s, but by then, the 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 it was concept good. was done. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, plus she was much older, uh, you know, and at her age at that point, because you know she would have been in her uh, late seven or uh, late late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, she was seen as a grandma in that one here. Yes, and it just, and just not the same. No, it just didn't. Uh, <coughs> it didn't. It didn't work quite that. So way. yeah, it only lasted three months. But you know, again, three successful and a fourth attempt, at essentially playing the same character across four decades. Mm-hmm. That's I admire that. I, uh, that's worth admiring. Uh, not you know, it's not that she milked it. It's just that she was that good. Well, yeah, because obviously, you know, you can't continue it if nobody's watching it. Exactly. The people automatically demand that, and that's a very important thing. Yes. Well, yeah, we have pummeled the expired equine. Yeah, Yeah, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, but I think you really covered it. I mean, a very worthy hero, a visionary talent, and a visionary business person um, that has combined to be a... A cornerstone of of the entertainment business and American culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're just—it's hard to point at anyone who's more foundational and more bedrock to what entertainment and what our national psyche is in the U.S. than, right. than Lucille Ball. I mean, you could probably find people, but they didn't do all the stuff she did. Right. You know, Again, Milton, behind the scenes people yeah. or in front of the camera. Yeah, people. I mean Milton Berle, uh, even uh, um, Ron Berry. You know, there are a lot of people. Well, even some of the movie directors. Uh, yeah, you know, Lucy's uh, at the core of it. Yeah, I. What's the uh, the the guy that did all the westerns? Um, John Ford. John, John Ford. Ford. You know. Uh, yeah. You know, he's part of that foundation of how you make movies. Yeah. But most people don't know his name because he's behind the camera. And as you said, you know, she's 
in front of and behind. She's yeah. a great creative talent as well as a great businesswoman. Yes. What what television is 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 a big part of yes. A lot, a lot of people again, you know, Jackie Gleason, Milton Berle, tons of people, but it's Lucy is yeah. at the center of all of this. Yes, you can look at Lucy and think, oh, well, that's the same as this comedy over here. Yeah, uh, not quite so much. I mean, a little bit with the honeymooners. Yeah, but the format was a little different. I mean. Yeah. You know, essentially the same but and, not quite. And, you know there are other family comedies there's Danny Thomas and, yes. and stuff like you know uh, they didn't have the Nelson's Ozzy and Harry I mean but but Lucy's really yeah they did not have the people legs. still watch these today I mean you can find these on all your streaming platforms so you don't have you know, people will still call this one up regularly yeah uh, for, for, for you know four generations later you know, you can have little kids watching this and still get it and still yeah, be entertained yeah. by it. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's universal humor. I Love Lucy was still in syndication, I think, even into the 70s. Oh, later than that. Uh, and people really were watching it even then. Yeah, I, I think it was even in syndication in, into the 80s. It was, yeah, yeah. definitely. I remember so uh, Channel yeah. 41 here locally. 20 would, 30 would show years it, later. Would show it regularly. Yeah, and, you know, once you get past the 70s, because, you know, 60s, you're still used to having some black and white. 70s is the first decade where it's all color. By the time you get to the 80s, you know, nobody wants to see the black and white anymore. Right. But that's one that still that they got would, shown. They still got shown. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. didn't want to go back to that, but yeah. uh, you still woman. see. You still see some. But you're right. Very worthy. Very worthy. <coughs> yeah. Well done, Lucy. Yes. So, Francis, we're going to continue the theme of comedy next time, folks. We talked about comedy a lot with Lucy here today, but. We're going to, uh, Pop Culture's next, and we're going to go to one of the quintessentially most beloved television shows of all time. And we're not talking I Love Lucy, of course, it's one of them, but this is another one from a slightly different era from the 70s through the early 80s. Everybody remembers where they were. Oddly enough, it's about the decade Lucy was in. That's right, about the 50s. <laughs> Oddly enough, everyone remembers who was around at that time, remembers where they were when MASH, when the final episode aired. It was one of the highest rated uh, scripted television shows at the time, all of all. It might still be. And it might still be. It was, it was a phenomenon at the time. Uh, and we remember, we grew up through all that, uh, through that era. And some of it is the best television still. It also holds up. We're going to go deep into that and talk about why the heck we like it, why it was so good, and why you should be interested in it. So, join us. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.